What have pharmacists learned during the COVID-19 vaccination campaign? We'll talk about that next on Locked On Pharmacy. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Pharmacy Podcast, the insider's view into the world of pharmacy. Hello, I'm Frank Fortin from the American Pharmacists Association. 380 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine administered. 180 million people receiving at least one dose. 154 million people fully vaccinated. The numbers don't lie. The campaign to vaccinate U.S. residents against COVID-19 has reached a lot of people. It's been an extraordinary time in the history of pharmacy. But about 100 million people who are eligible for the vaccine have not been vaccinated yet. In this episode of Lockdown Pharmacy, we talk with three pharmacists who have been instrumental in administering the vaccine in their communities. They are Gretchen Garofoli from Morgantown, West Virginia, Chichi Alonzo Moma from Springfield, Pennsylvania, and Amina Abubakar from Charlotte, North Carolina. I asked them about what they experienced during their vaccination work and what they learned from the effort. So Gretchen, welcome to the program again. It's good to see you again. Good to see you again. Thanks, Frank, for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. So when we spoke to you back in January, uh, you and your colleagues were just in the middle of uh, vaccinating as many people as possible in long-term care facilities. Uh, What happened after that? What kind of work in vaccination work did you do after that? Yes, so we've continued to be very busy with our vaccination efforts. We moved on through many phases at the long-term care facilities. So we went from that initial period to their maintenance period where we went once a month to vaccinate new employees, new residents, employees who had changed their mind. And then we moved on to the sustainability phase that they called it, where we vaccinated uh, family members and friends of those who worked at the nursing home and also those who may be family members or friends of residents. So that was the long-term care piece. The School of Pharmacy at West Virginia University was in charge of the vaccination efforts for our university faculty, staff, and students. So we held clinics at least once a week. So that kept me busy as well, vaccinating those folks. Um, Once we had the authorization to vaccinate those 12 years of age and older, we held a friends and family clinic where we vaccinated that age group as well. And that was very exciting. And I equate that clinic to being very similar to that first clinic at the nursing home because so many people were very excited about now being able to get their kids vaccinated. I had one child that gave me a fist bump and said that he was very excited to start planning a play date with one of his friends five weeks from that day. So three weeks later, he would get his second dose. And then two weeks after that, they would both be fully vaccinated. And so it was just very exciting to see a new age group be ready to reap the benefits of full vaccination. So we did a lot of those types of clinics and then also workplace clinics where we would go into places where people worked, whether it was a dentist's office, whether it was an industrial park, all of those places where it was easier for folks to get vaccinated at their workplace than going to find a clinic outside their working hours. Were you doing any of uh, vaccinations at homes, regular homes? 
Yes. So we did vaccinations at homes. The 12 year old that I talked about, I actually vaccinated him and a few friends in their family home. They had extra doses from a school that I went to. So we vaccinated those folks. We've also vaccinated senior citizens in apartment complexes that may not be able to get out to the clinics, as well as some of our homebound patients. What kind of uh, conversations were people having with, with you when they weren't sure or resistant to getting the vaccine or just were, wanted to do a wait, adopt a wait and see attitude? Yeah, so a lot of people have different reasons for being um, hesitant to receiving the vaccine. And so I've learned that your messaging can't be the same for all patients because you really need to take into account their patient-specific factors, whether it's a woman of childbearing age that is concerned about fertility issues that maybe she heard about on social media and talking her through those questions. And that did happen at one of the offices that we went to. We went to a dentist's office and this lady, she backed out last minute because she was worried about the fertility things that she had heard about. And when we went back for the second dose clinic, she decided that she wanted to get vaccinated at that point in time. And so her colleagues told her, you need to listen to this pharmacist who's here and not to those on social media. And so I answered all of her questions that she had prior to then vaccinating her. And so we've had wins like that, as well as other people where we went and vaccinated a group of athletes and the one they weren't concerned about the COVID vaccine specifically, but they were concerned about needles and they had a very strong fear of needles. And so talking this patient through their needle phobia and answering his questions, he wanted to see the needle. And so we showed it to him and we talked about the size of the needle compared to his bulging bicep that was there <laughs> on his um, huge deltoid where we were going to be administering it. And so we talked him through that. We talked him through his concerns, administered the vaccine. And afterwards, he's like, that was it. That was nothing. And we said, go tell your teammates that it's, it's not something to be concerned about with regards to his initial fear of the needle. And so you just never know. And it's really taught me to ask the questions and ask what concerns patients have and really listen before making recommendations and using blanket statements for all the patients that we serve. I'm interested in the conversation you had with the, with the woman who was uh, expecting. Uh, what did you tell her? So I've had the woman at the dentist office wasn't actually expecting she was of childbearing age and she had a young child, but I did have a conversation with a family member who was expecting. And so she asked me my thoughts and my questions. She is a teacher and she was going in person um, to teach her students five days a week. And she was concerned about not being vaccinated. And she reached out to me and said, Gretchen, I shouldn't be vaccinated, correct? And I said, no, that's that's not the case. And I provided her with the information from the American College of uh, Obstetrics and Gynecology. And with that statement, one of the physicians at West Virginia University Medicine is actually pregnant. And she had a video that she put together about why she decided to get vaccinated. So I shared this with my cousin. And I shared additional resources and information. And I said, it's a very personal choice. You need to have the information in order to make that decision. And so after I provided her with all of that information, I said, you can call your gynecologist's office as well if you want that additional confirmation. And unfortunately, when she called the gynecologist's office, they said, absolutely not, do not get vaccinated. And so she was concerned um, with the conflicting information that she had seen. And so I talked her through that and I talked her through why that might've been their initial response. 
And so she ultimately ended up deciding to get vaccinated. And then I would continue to share information with her regarding the additional studies. When the studies came out that showed that antibodies were passed on to the babies, I shared that with her. And she posted some very nice things on social media. And the first person that she thanked in her post were the pharmacists that helped her to make that decision. Well, that would count as a success story, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what else did you learn? You, you mentioned uh, listening first and not assuming anything when you start a conversation. What else have you learned in the six months since uh, this uh, incredible rollout? So I think that people want different vaccines for different reasons was something else that I have learned. So some people want the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. They want one and done. They do not like needles. They do not want to come back for a second dose. And so they really make that decision that they want that vaccine. And now we're at the point where we have all of the vaccines available in a plentiful supply. So you can have those discussions with your patients and ask them which vaccines they want, talk about the benefits of each vaccine and be able to provide that to them. And so the patients that really just want to come see you once or patients that might be transient, the J&J vaccine has been ideal to be able to get them vaccinated. Um, other patients only want Pfizer, only want Moderna. And so being able to understand their reasons and then be able to provide that vaccination to them. You have some family members that have younger children, and if they all want the same vaccine, getting them in to get the Pfizer vaccine, since that's authorized to the lowest age, um, that's been something that we've seen to be successful as well, having these family clinics. Have you found that the uh, status of the vaccines uh, as a uh, under EUA, has that made any difference for people versus fully authorized and licensed? I've heard that question a lot. And some people say that the reason that they do not want to get vaccinated is because none of the vaccines are fully approved and they have the emergency use authorization. And what I challenge these folks that tell me this is that they need to understand what all goes into an emergency use authorization. It's not that the vaccine was studied in five people and the FDA said, okay, well, we're going to do this, but really understanding the numbers that were studied, understanding why it went so fast. And APHA has a great graphic on their vaccine confidence website that really showcases how vaccines go through the trials and what was done differently for the COVID-19 vaccines. And what I also tell patients that bring up the concern about um, operating under the emergency use authorization versus full FDA approval is after we discuss the process, if they still want to wait and they still want to wait for full approval, understanding that and acknowledging that. But I, I have a feeling that sometimes people, just like we saw with flu vaccines and the egg allergy, they would say that I can't get it because I'm allergic to eggs long after that had been removed as um, a reason to not get the vaccine. So I think that sometimes people just look for a reason to not get the vaccine. And if they say, well, it's not fully FDA approved, you can't argue with that. You can't say, oh, well. So I think that that's one of the one of the concerns I have is that some people may be saying that they'll wait till it's full FDA approved and there might be a subset of patients that that's true for but I fear that there's a bigger subset of patients that then they will find something else to say that that's a reason they're not getting the vaccine. What do you what have you found has been the most effective pro reason to get a vaccine? What seems uh, is there any uh, 
set of messaging or, or kind of conversation you had that seems to be more effective than others or most effective? I think talking to patients about how we can return to normal, and this was more effective before everything fully opened up in a lot of states, is that this is our step towards getting back to normal. Um, I don't know how effective that's going to be right now because things are are getting back to normal, whether you're vaccinated or not. I've also seen a lot of success talking about how it's going to impact your family members, how it's going to impact your friends. One woman that I vaccinated at a long-term care facility, she had waited until later in the vaccination effort to get vaccinated because she wanted to wait and see. And she ultimately made the decision to get vaccinated to protect her parents. She had elderly parents. She wanted to go visit them. It had been a long 14 months that she had not seen her parents. And so she ultimately made the decision to get vaccinated so that she could be protected and then go see her parents. And she was so excited the day of her second dose. And she had me take a picture and send it. And she sent it to her mom so that her mom and dad would know that she was fully vaccinated. And then she started counting down the days until she could go visit them. So I think really protecting those around you, even if you um, aren't as concerned about your own health and well-being, protecting those around you has been a, a big success. So we are speaking here in the, uh, in the, in the second part of June. Uh, we are somewhere between 50 and 60 percent vaccinated from, among adults, at least in the United States um, and in many states on the East Coast. What do you see, what does the future look like, say for the next six months of vaccinating? From your standpoint, what do you think it's going to look like? So I think one of the big things that will change the course of how we are going to spend the rest of the year with our vaccination efforts is what you've touched on earlier with regards to full FDA approval of a vaccine. I think that once a vaccine is fully FDA approved, we will see more businesses, we will see more institutions requiring vaccination as either a term of employment or of schooling. There have been a lot of places out there that have said we will reevaluate once there is a vaccine that is fully FDA approved. So I think when that happens, we will ramp up vaccination efforts again because people will want to stay employed, people will want to go to school, people will want to do other things. Um, and the vaccine would be the reason that they would then be able to participate in such activities. I also think that if we end up with booster doses of the vaccine, that it'll be a very busy fall for us. Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate to be one of the first people vaccinated after we worked um, and vaccinated those at the nursing homes. And so we're coming up on where I may be eligible for a booster dose. So it's something I've been really watching closely is that if they do authorize booster doses, we will need to start vaccinating those high-risk populations that we started with, and we will need to continue those vaccination efforts. So I, I'm optimistic, though, that we will have the supply that we weren't having available to us at the beginning so that it won't be those types of issues, and we'll just need to get the manpower out there to get the vaccines administered and to continue to protect as many people as we possibly can. What will the vaccination program in your neck of the woods look like from your standpoint? With regards to a booster dose or with regards to the Overall, rest of the yeah, well, Let's just say even initial doses for those who haven't gotten the initial doses yet. So we are continuing to utilize the team-based approach. And I think that that has been important for our state from the beginning. We have been working with physicians. We've been working with nurses. We've been working with other pharmacists. 
And we've done some very large scale clinics. And we've also done small scale clinics. And no matter what, I consider each and every dose that we administer a win, whether it's part of a thousand dose clinic or whether it's part of a five dose clinic, because we are getting more people protected. So I think that we will continue to work together. We will continue to reach patients where they're at, whether it's in their home, whether it's at their place of employment, or whether it's at one of our large community clinics. We will continue to do what we need to do to get people vaccinated, get them protected, and continue to get back to normal life. And life in West Virginia must feel a lot different today than it did seven months ago as a result. Yes, it, it it does feel very different right now. I wish we were continuing to vaccinate at the rate we were back then because people were very excited. But like I said, there's the small wins. When we started vaccinating the 12-year-olds, that was that renewed sense of hope and excitement that I needed to continue to push forward and to continue to work on the messaging to get those folks that have been holding off on the vaccine vaccinated. So what have the six months been like for you as a, a pharmacy professional, someone who's been an advocate for immunizations and vaccinations? This has been must have been challenging as well as fulfilling at the same time. Yes, and that's what I say. In all of my years working as a pharmacist, it's been the most rewarding, the most challenging, the most stressful, but rewarding is by far the word I would use to describe. It's just been amazing getting to work with so many people, doing my part to help bring an end to this pandemic by getting folks vaccinated. I It's just been amazing. And seeing the smiles on faces and seeing people so excited to get the vaccine and to get back to normal has truly been the highlight of my professional career. Thank you, Gretchen. Dr. Moma, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Talk to us a little bit first about the kind of vaccinations that you've been doing over the last six months, what kind of clinics you've been vaccinating in, and what have you encountered uh, during all of this? We, um, we started vaccinating our community in-house in the pharmacy in February. And then we started off with 100 doses a week. And then we outgrew our space when we started doing um, 350 to 400 a day. And it was disrupting the business. So we had to pivot and partner up with local high school to use their gym. Um, at first, they were very apprehensive because they weren't sure liability issues. And I was like, guys, listen, right now, we just want to get everybody vaccinated, right? In the first clinic we did at the high school, we did Pfizer. So we started Moderna in-house. And then with Pfizer, we started at the high school. And the first one we did was in March, the big clinic. And we did 1,100, 1100 vaccines that, that day. It was crazy. I mean, it was overwhelming, but so much fun because seeing the amount of volunteers that showed up to help people that I don't know, and we're all wearing masks, so we, we don't even know. It's like, I'm Chi-Chi, but I don't know who you are because I can't really see your face. It was the outpour of um, people serving with their time. Um, but then I also noticed that out of the 1,100 people, 98% of them were white. And that broke my heart. But I was like, you know what, we're doing it again in four days. Let's see what happens. And we did 1200 four days after and 95% were white. Um, that 
broke my heart even more because now that made us realize that we have to do more work to reach minorities, to reach people in the underserved population. And we started asking ourselves, why, how, what's going on? And um, so we're not only just giving vaccines, we have to be more intentional to reach the people that maybe they're, he they're, hesi they're, they're hesitating or they just don't have access, right? So yes, we're running massive clinics at the high school, but we also started partnering up with local leaders like mayors and senators and House of Rep. I was calling everyone. I had nothing to lose. So I just call, email, keep bothering them. And they, I was able to get a hold of um, Immigration Coalition Department. And we started hosting in the Latinx community, um, a lot of Black communities, a lot of churches, I started speaking in churches. It's almost like running two separate business. We're still doing clinics in-house in the pharmacy and we're doing outside massive clinics so we can reach more people in a short period of time. And what kind of, kind of progress did you see after doing this kind of outreach? We The phone started ringing like crazy, right? Um, more people wanted it. But then at the same time, there are people that did not want it, right? Um, so yes, it would be easy for me to just focus on the people that want it. But how about those? For us to reach herd immunity, we have to get everyone. So um, my team and I and APHA with the meetings that we have, trying to figure out ways to get those people that are easily can fall through the cracks or people that are anti-vaccine or people that are just scared, you know, scared to get it. So we started doing more education Um incentivizing people like I know like encouraging employers to incentivize people if somebody's coming in to get a vaccine give them the day off and pay them for it what are the what were the kind of concerns and um, fears that people expressed to you personally when you spoke to them or ran, or or encountered them uh, say during the week I had a talk I went to a church to give a talk it was, I was nervous, but the kind of question, because it's a Q&A, so they can ask you anything, right? Mm -hmm. um, they said, is, it, uh, is this an experiment, you know? Um, and I know they were re referencing the Tuskegee trial, right? And some people wanted to know about fertility. You yeah. know, if my 22-year-old son gets this, will I still be a grandmother, you know? Um, a lot of pregnant women were afraid to get it. And then... Um, People ask me questions like, why was it rushed? Why were the vaccines rushed? You know, um, they ask me questions like, how come there's no vaccine for HIV, but they were able to get a vaccine for COVID? I mean, I've gotten a lot of questions and none of them are stupid questions because that's just how they feel, you know? And not everybody's a healthcare provider that knows the science, you know, and, um, this virus put a lot of fear in people and just makes your brain think of crazy things. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that's the way the brain works. It's like trying to protect you, just shut it down and think about the worst case scenario and the reasons why you shouldn't get it. Did you ever run into, have you, have you run into situations where someone initially said, no, thank you. Um, but then eventually came back and said, I'm ready. A lot of them. I've had people in the beginning when I had, um, I was doing a lot of, that was the phase 1A, people that are 64, 65 and over that have underlying conditions. 
So I had uh, had this lady that she wanted her mom, who was 92, to get the vaccine. Her mom said, no, I'm not getting that stuff. So she made me talk to her mom. And I explained to her mom that a lot of people are dying in, in America. And for you to be able to not only see your daughter, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren, you need to be vaccinated, not only just for you, but for those babies that you love so much. And and then she said she'll only get it if I'm the one giving it to her. (laughs) So, but that's one of many of those kind of conversations that, yes, I will come to you and give you the vaccine. You don't even have to come out, you know? I'll do it in the garage of your house, whatever it takes to put the shot in your arms. You know, we, we talked about hesitancy, but you mentioned something else, which is access, access to the Internet, um, access to transportation, public or private. Even public transportation is not accessible to everyone. How do you deal with that? We That's why we try to set up these pop-up clinics where we go to that, right? Um, I had a, had a clinic where three different uh, school districts came together in one gym to get a vaccine. And one of the school district, they're underserved population, so they don't have cars, for example. And they were asking the school district to provide buses to be able to transport these kids. And all those barriers already made us realize that a lot of people are not going to show up. One for, because not only because they don't want it, but they just can't get there. And some of these work. And, and, and it did happen. The whole school district, only five people showed up. And the other schools, we had 600 people, 700 people. So we had to do another clinic and go to their neighborhood for, for the clinics. Looking back on the last six months or so, what have you learned about uh, the whole process, this whole vaccination program? What have you learned about um, patients and the conversations you need to have with them? What I've learned is I'm still learning. I had a Q&A yesterday that still blows my mind. (laughs) (laughs) What I've learned is that people are afraid. Okay. People are afraid of the unknown. And um, we have to keep having those conversations. We have to meet them right where they are. And it will be good to bring people that look like them, right? Um, I'm being invited to, uh, I'm an African-American. I'm being invited to black churches. I'm being invited to black neighborhoods because they feel they will feel more comfortable talking to me about their problems or about their fears because they feel like I relate to them, right? And even if it's not an African-American community, um, even in the Latinx community, I don't speak an ounce of Spanish, but just the empathy and the willingness to be there for them and ensure, assuring them that this is safe, this is effective, and we are here for you. And I've seen a lot of undocumented people, too, that we're afraid that, oh, my gosh, is ICE going to be there, right? And the fact that they showed up and they got their vaccine and they felt safe. They went home and told their friends, you know? So it's about having these patients feel safe, having them feel seen, having them feel cared for, that they're not just a number, they're human beings. And that helps us bridge that gap and reach so many more lives that we would have been able to do. I would wager that you've never had this kind of experience before in your career. 
Never. I'm never. And they outpour volunteers. I mean, physicians, pharmacists, nurses, all kinds non-medical people that just showed up, rolled up their sleeves and ready to work in the snow, in the rain. It just, it, it's, it warms my heart. What do you think the next six months will look like when it comes to vaccinations for COVID? Um, looking into your crystal ball, what do you think the experience is going to be like as a pharmacist and as maybe as a patient who's still not been vaccinated? The next, going into the fall, um, some people that that really really want to get boosted already calling right already and, and I know that in the fall the flu season is going to be different this year and a lot of people might freak out is it flu is it COVID um, mm. so we're getting ready for that we're getting ready for another another wave of COVID vaccine you know. Not because people are dying, but people don't want us to be maxed again. They don't want to wear masks. They don't want the economy to shut down. They don't want us to go back into red face. So people are asking, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited for them to drop the age, lower than 12 years of age, because um, so kids can go to school, you know, so that yeah. people can feel safer. So I'm very optimistic about the future. I'm not quitting. I'm going to keep trying to get everybody vaccinated. And I don't, I'm not afraid of the uncomfortable conversations that I have with people that are, that don't want to get vaccinated. I will keep trying my best. My team and I I have an amazing team and we will not stop. We're not leaving anyone behind. Thank you, Chi Chi. Amina, welcome to the program. My pleasure. Amina, Tell us a little bit first about um, the vaccination activities you've been doing since the beginning of the year. Where have you been doing it? What kind of clinics? What have you experienced? Great. So Charlotte is a very interesting uh, city in that we have such large healthcare partners in the city. So we are not in a very rural or remote area. So they were the big health systems had the vaccines as soon as it came out. So part of it, what we did is participate in helping those organizations that had the vaccine and they were in stadiums and they were in these big um, venues. So some of our pharmacists participated as volunteers in just the vaccinating efforts. So we've been all over the city. Uh, and, and then when our pharmacy was selected with the, by the health department um, to be uh, a help for the, I guess, patients who are either different cultures, you know, the minority. So they saw a need to have some of these smaller organizations participate early. And that's how we got vaccine. You know, it was just from the health department relationship to say, hey guys, we think you guys should do it. So by doing that now, we have vaccinated we're an independent pharmacy, so we are. Uh, we have a lot of uh, multilingual staff, and so their outreach in Spanish, their outreach in the Vietnamese community, uh, was able to connect those individuals to us, to our pharmacy, and then I personally have participated with uh, faith-based centers early on because I was already connected with them during COVID outbreak. 
you know, because that's where we had everyone still wants to go to church and mosques. And so I was part of that dialogue of, hey, we need to prevent the spread of COVID and COVID is real. So I already had those relationships. And those were folks that we reached out around vaccination efforts as well. And we partnered uh, with working with the local federally qualified health centers, uh, the Ryan White uh, clinics that were serving HIV patients who are uninsured. So our team has just been these tentacles, you know, to yeah. either do it under our umbrella as the pharmacy or do it under someone else, but utilize our pharmacists for vaccination and education. I'm curious as to the kind of conversations you're having with people who came to the clinics or you went to them about uh, folks who had concerns about the vaccine and didn't want to get them and weren't sure or get them. What kind of conversations were you having? So my first conversations were with actually healthcare uh, frontliners, like medical assistants, um, uh, folks that worked at nursing homes that mm. didn't want didn't want it. And so, well, as pharmacists, we were super excited to go out there and do it. When I saw that the front line wasn't as excited, we started the education with them. You know, so it was our pharmacists and collaborating pro medical providers of these clinics that we put together a local webinar with those individuals. Mm -hmm. And we were able to answer because we were like, how are we going to vaccinate patients if the medical assistant that's walking them in doesn't believe in vaccine, you know, or doesn't know. So, and a lot of their questions came from the vaccine was approved too fast. Some of the questions were fertility related issues. There was childbearing uh, groups were very hesitant because there were all these myths about uh, infertility with the vaccine. And also with me connected to so many immigrant groups, there was a lot more misinformation coming from overseas. Huh. Yes. So our biggest uh, obstacle is that how quickly forwards of a WhatsApp message or a Facebook message gets spread. So it was the families of overseas, you know, because at the time in America, we were already in a lot of political climate. Yeah. And so having this outside uh, countries or their relatives saying, oh, this is all politics from America, you know, uh, those, so those were interesting conversations. So personal dialogues I've had with family members, my parents didn't want to get vaccinated, hmm. you know, and uh, it's because they received a forward that uh, the vaccine was manufactured by Bill Gates and that they want to kill Africans. And I told my parents, if they kill all the Africans, what happens then? You know? And I was like, how are they, how are they gonna get more business of Microsoft downloads? Like, <laughs> think about the logic, you know? Yeah. And so those things were happening a lot. They were fake videos. Yeah. Also of people like passing out that. Yeah, so those were being forwarded to a lot of family members. So those, that was my hardest group. That's interesting. And those videos are very real looking. They're, you know, there's a term for them, deep fake videos, where um, to the to to uh, ordinary people, there's almost no way to tell that they're fake or not, unless you know the context for, 
of it or anything like that. So that can be that it's probably something that you've never dealt with before in your professional life. This kind of we'll call it misinformation and all different kinds of sources of information dealing with something when you yourself are standing four square saying this is good for you. Yes. Yeah. What uh what have you learned um over the last six months in terms of vaccinations, immunizations, patients' worldview? What have you learned that um you might uh maybe you will bring into your work for the next six to twelve months when it comes to especially vaccinations? One, what I've learned is that um, we have to be more vigilant about education in a way that's personalized for individuals, Hmm. you know, Uh, because we were putting out a lot of great information, but there was still a disconnect. Uh, So I do like the collaboration with working with individuals from those communities to empower them to talk to their community. So when I talk to a community that don't, doesn't look like me, right? They are listening or they're hearing me, but they're not listening. Mm. As soon as we started educating the individuals of those community, I think it built more trust. So it's as much the messenger as the message. Correct. I think that's very important because there were places that, uh, you know, I had gone and other folks had gone there before. Yeah. And what they said is that, uh, well, that it just connected because of the language either I spoke or, uh, yeah, they, th- that was a very eye-opening experience. And so now what I've taken is, Uh, As a community pharmacy, we have students from all walks of lives that come to our pharmacy. And now um, we're we're utilizing them to record messages in their language, you Hmm. know, so we can share with patients or communities that can utilize them. Have you run in, um, there's been a lot of conversation and a lot of uh, articles in the news media about the hesitancy among people, say, under the age of 25. Have you had much interaction with that age group and conversations with the folks? And how is it the same or different from the other conversations you've had? So I've had that age group from family members. So I have nieces and nephews in college, mm-hmm. you know, and so they would say, no, let me call my aunt. She's a pharmacist. She's been sending me messages for vaccination. Their messaging is that they are young and they're resilient, that they don't need the vaccine. You know, that they recover so fast. And once you get COVID, you have the antibodies. So that's kind of a natural vaccine rather than having one that's been manufactured. That's uh, so they really bank on their health and bank. That's what I, I found. So, but they also are very driven with social media. You know, and so again, it's counteracting, teaching them how conspiracy theory comes, because I don't think they're aware. They are very new into this world. They Google is their Bible, right? Right. Right. But they don't know how to decipher if this is conspiracy versus this is information, because they do find everything from influencers, right? So this group is, uh, is a very impressionable depending who they're following. 
<laughs> and I, I don't think we have enough pharmacist influencers. <laughs> That's fascinating. It's a, um, it's a, it's, it's a very different way of approaching than say healthcare workers in a long-term care facility. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, thank you for that. How do you think the next six months are going to go? Um, I saw a number today, just today, reading something that there are still 100 million people of the eligible population still unvaccinated. Uh, it may not be realistic to say 100 million of that 100 million will be vaccinated, but how do we get that number down low enough so that it makes a difference? What is the next six months going to look like? This next six months are harder because I feel like everyone who wanted to get the vaccine has gotten it. Hmm. You know, they were the early adopters. They were going to get it at all costs, right? Now we're not getting phone calls, you know. Uh, we used to have to hold vaccine clinics. Now we're accepting walk-ins because you can't hold a vaccine clinic and allocate four or five hours to have one or two people show up. Right. Right. But now out of these 100 million, it's the strategy of I, breaking them down into um, whether it's the cultural um, clusters, you know, uh, race, the, the breakdown, right? And then message not going to everyone, but messaging going to key leaders, mm -hmm. key influencers in these environments. For example, now, and I learned this from the collaborative, is reaching out to the translators of these communities. I thought that was great because I was just reaching out to anyone that I knew was in charge of the temple or, but the translators, because they are called in medical translation, they are called in key decision-making for these individuals. So now I've done an outreach uh, for some of those uh, translators, especially with the refugee groups. Um, another thing is messaging that's going around for undocumented individuals. Mm -hmm. A lot of fear out there. A lot of fear. You know, so I know the community health centers are doing a fantastic job in working with those populations, right? So they are afraid of going into an established business. Right you know, having to give your information because there is where that this is a way of deportation. So again, they, so trying to get to those, because these are going to be the harder groups. These are not folks that they've, I'm not going to say they haven't heard about it. They have a fundamental belief against it. Yeah. And it'd be one victory at a time. One period of time. So that's why I feel like now it's, you know, I've gone to like uh, local um, international grocery stores, Yeah. you know, and I didn't realize that it's that individual touch points that we now need one person at a time. And what I've learned and I've told my team, don't give up, even if we get one. So recently we had a patient brought by a family member for a vaccine and they were still hesitant. A family member received theirs. They said, I'm riding along just to ask questions, right? And so they rode along and one of our pharmacy students did a fantastic job because he works at the hospital. So this family member said, I don't believe COVID is real. COVID is not real. And he said, innocently, he said, I work at the hospital and I wish you would have seen, you could see the COVID beds, you mm -hmm. know? 
And I think that just struck a nerve, but it was that real one-to-one conversation right there from someone who says, I've been there, done that. I know what I'm talking about. And they took the vaccine. Yes. He's seen people die. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. And what you said about translators really rings true for me because part of what I've done recently with APHA is shoot lots of videos of clinics. And one clinic at a church in Maryland, we brought a, a translator and the way you could just see in people's eyes, the way they were trusting what the translator was saying, it was just a different way that they were looking at him than they were looking at me. Cause I speak poco, poco, poco Spanish, you know, but he was wonderful and really uh, made a connection with them. So I can see where the translator would really make a difference. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's my goal now. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Individuals. Is there anything else that you can see uh, um, for the next six months? That you've for the next about? six months also, I think we have built new, what I would say, new converts into vaccine world also, mm-hmm. right? So we shouldn't be discouraged for those who don't want to get the COVID vaccine. They're individuals that had never gotten a flu shot, have never gotten uh, any other vaccine, but now the knowledge that we have been giving on how vaccines are made what how they work there are people already asking so when do i get a flu shot i have never gotten a flu shot now that i understand the concept i want it so we shouldn't lose this momentum for other vaccinations that people have now come into our world because of a covid vaccine that's wonderful and it's it's a nice thing to keep in mind with all the times that there have been disappointments so the, there is a difference being made that's great yeah Well, Amina, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. And that's it for this edition of Locked on Pharmacy. For the American Pharmacists Association, this is Frank Fortin. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Pharmacists Association, the largest professional association of pharmacists in the United States. 